It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. The Reds and Luis Castillo were never really close to an extension before they traded him. But pretty much everything else in a revealing report leads us to believe that Nick Kroll passed his first test. And that now has Baseball America liking the Reds' future. We're going to get into all of that on today's Locked on Reds. You are locked on Reds. Your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds. Thanks for making Locked On Reds your first listen of the day. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and we are free and available on all podcasting platforms. I'm your host, Stephen Offenbaker, alongside Jeff Carr. Uh, We both have a passion for baseball. We have a passion for the Cincinnati Reds, and we have taken that passion and turned it into information for you. On today's podcast, we're going to dig into Bobby Nightingale's article that ran in the Inquirer yesterday about the events surrounding the trade deadline. Uh, Jeff and I are going to talk the virtues of a bullpen day like the Reds had last night in Philadelphia and Baseball America has updated its prospect rankings, and we are going to tell you how the Reds did. But Jeff, I think a good place to start is going to be this Bobby Nightingale article because it is kind of the talk of Reds country today. It was a a pretty revealing article uh, about the events surrounding the trade deadline and how Nick Craw handled everything. Yeah, first off, amazing article by Bobby Nightingale. If you don't have an Inquirer subscription, I'd highly recommend it simply just to follow Bobby's coverage of the Reds because there are a few reporters in the game that do a better job than he does. But this article is so just chock full of information as to how Nick Crawl handled the time leading up to the trade deadline. And it talks a little bit about, you know, the extension process that the Reds tried to go through with Castillo, the trading process and things like that. But I want to start with that extension process because to me, The way that Bobby Nightingale writes this is as if Nick Kroll sat down with Luis Castillo for the first time for an extension talk this year. And I think, okay, there's a couple of schools of thought on this, but I just, in my mind and in my heart, my Reds fan heart, have a hard time accepting the fact that this year was the first time that they thought about that. 
Well, a couple things on that, Jeff. I think if if you remember back to when we kind of talked about this at the trade deadline, you know, I said them talking to Luis Castillo was really just the team doing its due diligence, just to make yeah. sure that like Luis didn't want to stay in Cincinnati so bad that they were gonna you know give him a deal that they couldn't refuse. I, and I really still believe that's exactly what happened. To your point, yes, you're absolutely right. If they were going to like wholeheartedly for real talk extension with Luis Castillo, that should have happened last season last off season at the latest uh the fact of the matter is that the castellini ownership group was never going to pony up the money that it was going to take to keep luis castillo here uh in order to keep him here they would have had to bought out a lot of his of his arbitration time earlier they would have had done this way earlier and they were never going to do that especially with the amount of money they threw around in 2020 so i'm not shocked at all at how it really went down uh, great reporting from bobby nightingale to kind of confirm what we all thought throughout that process but it was it was good to see you know that we kind of had it and that uh, it wasn't something that, uh, you know, the teams have been trying to work out for, you know, six months and it just fell apart. Uh, you know, I think that what we saw was Nick Crawl handle it as best he could uh, within the parameters that were defined by to him by Bob and Phil. Yeah, and... In the article, Bobby writes that Nick Crawl understood it probably was going to take around $20 million, if not more than that, per year, probably total over $100 million. Now, the report does not say if that was the offer. It's just Nick Crawl understood that's probably what it was, and I'm guessing that wasn't the offer, just based on what we have seen in years past, in these recent years of, of the Reds deciding that they don't want to pay people. But hey, you know what? That's fine. That's not Nick Crawl. He is given the checkbook, and there, there's like a certain number that he can go to. So it's not it's not as if he can set that number himself. I think it's important to note there too. If if you're reading that article, uh, you know they also spoke with Luis Castillo's agent, and it sounds like uh, there were no hard feelings in that process. You know, basically Luis had a number. Luis likes Cincinnati. His kids were born in Cincinnati. There was a number that was going to keep him. The Reds didn't come close to it. Uh, the Castillo camp understood what the limitations were going to be, and it just became clear it wasn't going to happen. And then, of course, that made Luis Castillo uh, the biggest trade prize of this year's deadline. And where Nick Crawl could not do the extension, what he was able to do, he absolutely nailed. Because when it came to the trade talks, whenever teams approached him, which obviously many teams did over almost half the league called him about Luis Castillo. And basically his response to all of them was something they actually didn't want to do. Like uh, at least by the way that this was worded to me is that Nick crawl was asking for too much. Whenever a team would call about Luis Castillo, which Bravo, we said that's exactly what he needed to do because this was the point where teams would overpay for a guy like Luis Castillo. We found out some teams did, or some teams uh, balked at that, but the Mariners did not. They did not. And you know, this, this article is great. I, I'm going to tell you why I like this article so much, Jeff, because there are several different things in this article that confirm things that I said around the deadline, confirm things that you said around the deadline. And it really makes us, you know, pretty clear that we had it. We kind of had a good feel for what was going on in this case with the Mariners. You know, what I said was uh, maybe they did overpay a little, but they did what they had to do to keep the Yankees from getting Luis Castillo because they did not want to face him in the postseason. And there's quotes in this article from the Mariners front office that basically say that they say they realized that if they didn't do something, 
something, he would go elsewhere and they weren't going to let that happen. Absolutely confirming what you and I said all along. So did they overpay? Maybe a little bit right now. It might look worse later if these prospects really excel and, and have a big impact at the major league level. But I think that I don't think that Nick Crawl fleeced Seattle. I think he got he maximized his return and what they were willing to pay to keep Cashman and the Yankees from getting the the, the crown jewel of trade season. Yeah, and I, I love the the nugget in here that it said that when Seattle initiated talks about Luis Castillo, they were doing all they could to keep both Marte and Arroyo out of the trade talks, and then the Reds end up getting both of them anyway. That was phenomenal. The other key thing with this, and it's something that our own Locked On Yankees host Stacey Gatsoulias has been saying a lot, is that the Yankees were not going to trade Anthony Volpe for anybody, and that was corroborated in this report. The Yankees said no on Volpe whenever Crawl asked about him. So, yeah, once again, just showing you Crawl understood what was going on with Luis Castillo. He was asking for too much, just like he should. He was able to get it done something else that uh, I, I thought was interesting because I know there in the, you know, the moments leading up to the end of the trade deadline felt like we woke up to this report the day of the trade deadline was that, Oh, there might be a possibility that the Reds sign a contract extension of Brandon Drury. And the report said that was never going to be, that was never going to happen because Nick crawl yeah. understood the thing here. Yeah. I think that was a strategic leak. You know, these front offices yeah. do that sometimes. I, th I think that, you know, there were multiple teams uh, interested in Brandon Drury, uh, some more than others, as far as what they were willing to pay and what their interest was. And I think that that was just one of those things. Well, maybe we'll leak that we're trying to sign them and we can squeeze an extra prospect or a, a prospect ranked a couple tiers higher out of somebody to get Drury. And uh, I think that was all marketing. Yeah. And, and it just kind of confirmed that it, they also, you know, Bobby Nightingale goes to report that, you know, dozens of teams were looking in on Tyler Malley after Luis Castillo was traded. And the fact that the Reds were able to get Spencer Steer obviously was a huge deal there, but Christian Encarnacion Strand was kind of the guy that tipped that deal past the other offers that they had on the table. So I'm interested to see that. We'll, we'll talk in a minute. Uh, Spencer Steer actually... A, an amazing look as to what the Reds were able to do at the trade deadline. And, and I very much think that this just shows to me that crawl did well. I, I graded it at the time and I continue to give him a grade of uh, a high a in the yeah. way that he handled the trades in the, in the, at the trade deadline. Yeah. I, I think that coming into it, we were ambivalent. Now we know Nick crawl passed the first test of the rebuild and set up the reds baseball future nicely. Steve, we're going to come back to the baseball present though, because the reds resorted to a bullpen day and the scoreboard didn't blow up. Like we thought, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, we'll get into what that means just here in a second, but this may be where David Bell has to turn for his pitching solutions, but where you need to turn for your hiring solution is LinkedIn. As your small business grows, LinkedIn jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. 
Create a free job post in just minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and then beyond to a network of over 810 million people. Then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right candidate faster. Simple tools also like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you want to talk to and who you want to hire. It's why small businesses rank LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster. Do you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers go to LinkedIn, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on MLB. That's linkedin.com slash L O C K E D O N M L B to post your job for free terms and conditions do apply. Coming up later today, you're not going to miss it. Steve gets the chance to sit down with Spencer Steer. We just talked about him. The big guy coming over in the trade from the Minnesota Twins. Will we see Spencer Steer at some point this season? I'm pretty sure Steve asks him that. Uh, and, and there's going to be so much more. You're going to get to know Spencer Steer very well. If you haven't had a chance to, you need to check out the Matt McLean interview as well. But Spencer Steer coming at you later today. I'm, I'm excited to see how this goes, Steve. I, I think that, um, I, I know that the Matt McLean interview was awesome and I'm just, I'm expecting uh, big things from you. Well, it's been a uh, great run for us here at locked on reds. Uh, we've, we've had the good fortune to talk to some, some pretty highly touted prospects here recently. And I've got a few more things cooking that I'm trying to work out logistics on before the minor league baseball season ends. So, you know, make sure you're subscribed because there's going to be stuff coming at you and you're definitely not going to want to miss it. Not at all. And you might have missed what the Reds did last night, but that's why we're here. We're going to tell you what happened. Last night, the Reds had a bullpen game. They tried TJ Zoik a couple of times, didn't quite work out. And so they're like, you know what? Let's go with a bullpen game. Now, there's a lot of folks talking about, well, is Luis Sessa showing himself a starter because they put him in the rotation? It's like, no, no, no. It's a bullpen day. It's just they picked Sessa to be the first guy out of the bullpen for the bullpen day. However, last night, it, it, for my money, last night is probably as good as we can hope for this iteration of the Reds bullpen to pitch an entire game. I like that you are talking about that phrasing, starter versus bullpen day, because when I hear bullpen day, I hear we're throwing this game away. We're conceding right. it. We're, we're just kind of trying to get through it versus we're naming so-and-so the starter and we're going to go out there and try and win. I really, I really think that it's all about the phrasing and that's why they said it and put it out there the way that they did. All that being said, uh, Luis Sessa wasn't horrible. You know, he grooved a couple, gave up back-to-back -back home runs to Nick Castellanos and then um, who hit the second one, Jeff? Bryson Stock. Yeah, that's right. So gave up the back-to-back -back jacks there. But beyond that, he pitched fairly well for, you know, being asked to do something a little outside of his norm. Yeah, yeah, he pitched pretty decently. And, yeah, kind of grew those pitches. Then Joe Kunal came in. The Phillies were able to string some hits together against him in the third. But ultimately, he kind of pitched okay. Struck out the side in the fourth inning. Nailed down two straight innings, and then you had a couple of dudes come in. They didn't necessarily pitch two innings apiece, but 
as far as what this bullpen has given us all year, this is the best that we could hope for in nine innings because it's like Chris Welsh said on the television broadcast last night is that when you are calling on more and more bullpen guys in a game, you are taking the chance that one of them is just going to blow up because it happens. That's the way relief pitching goes. And thankfully, nobody really blew up in this game. They just kind of, you know, they they kept the Reds at least competitive, uh, to say nothing about the lineup, which we're not really going to get into what they did because they didn't do anything last night. No, this, this, the way the bullpen handled it was great. I mean, you know, uh, the new car family favorite Hunter Strickland had a great performance. One and a third inning, a perfect ball with a strikeout, uh, before him Detweiler. I thought Detweiler looked really good. Uh, you know, he was, he was spotting on both sides of the plate. You know, he was keeping hitters off balance. Uh, you know, I, I was, I mean, you know, three Ks gave up one hit. It was, uh, I thought, a pretty good performance from him. Uh, and then, you know, I wanted to talk about Art Warren for a minute because it yeah. wasn't it wasn't the greatest outing for him. But, you know, we have to bear in mind this. That's only his second appearance since his extended time away with an injury. And, you know, I've, I had high hopes for Art Warren this season, and I still have high hopes for Art Warren. And I think that he can be a valuable piece of this bullpen next season. So he's one of those guys I'm going to be watching the rest of the way, seeing how he responds and performs to, to really make an evaluation if he's a guy we want to keep around for next season. I, I agree. And the injury that he went through was just, it was a bummer to see him kind of have to come back from that in a year in which it seems like everybody who has pitched out of the bullpen for the Reds has hit the IL at some point. And of course you started the year with TJ Anto not coming back at all. So that was just the bad omen from the beginning, but Lucas Sims down with with surgery. You have uh, Tony Santion. He's probably gone the rest of the year. So Art Warren really had a shot. He kind of had the opportunity to take over. And even before the injury, he was kind of lackluster, really wasn't taking hold of the reins. And then he was out for so long. I mean, he pitched on July 2nd and then he didn't pitch again until two, uh, three days ago, the, the 20th. So uh, twice in the last month and a half. And you're talking about a dude that we would like to see more from. And I'm with you. His, his performance last night wasn't great. He looked like he was leaving a lot out over the plate and he was getting hit kind of hard, but he was able to get out of that inning without giving up too much damage. He did allow one run, but overall, He's definitely got himself an extended tryout for the rest of this season and likely next season because I don't see the Reds. We're, we're going to talk about it as the offseason nears and as it goes along. We'd like to see the Reds make some bullpen moves, but I don't think they're going to make enough to push Art Warren out of the bullpen so long as he's healthy. No, I, I agree with that. And, and in fact, there's a couple arms down there in that bullpen right now that I think fall into that category. And these these bullpen days, you know, Chris Welsh mentioned it on the broadcast that, you know, they're just so thin right now. Starting pitching bullpen, they're just thin. And I, I get the point that Chris was trying to make, but I don't necessarily agree with it because I don't think they're, they've exhausted all the supply of arms. I mean, we've talked about this. I think they're making a conscious decision to not bring up more of the rookies because I think that Stout 
could give them a, a, a decent look in this pitching staff at the major league level right now. I think that Williamson could get a decent look at the major league pitching staff right now and show them something. But I, like I've talked about before, I understand why they're not doing that. So while it is thin and while it does look bad, and if you just kind of look at the surface of it, you could say, oh man, they must have just, they just must be out of everybody. That's not necessarily true, but the fact of the matter is they're going to throw some guys in situations that you don't necessarily expect Luis Sessa being the first one. A matter of fact, I don't know if you caught this, but when uh, David Bell told him he was going to be starting last night, he laughed. He thought it was a joke. Yeah. And when, when the guy you're telling that he's going to be the starter thinks it's a joke, that's all the information you need to know that it's not the right move. Right. Because, and it's not necessarily that Luis Sessa didn't think he could do it. That Luis Sessa knows who he is. He's a guy that is vying for the ace of this bullpen, not the ace of the starting rotation. And he hasn't really started. I think he got the chance to start in the minors. And I think I saw he might have started like a bullpen day or two for the Yankees. But again, this is a guy that's not going to give you more than two innings. We, we saw it tonight. Like when he gives you multiple innings, he becomes vulnerable. He becomes hittable. And he becomes the kind of guy that's going to blow the scoreboard up. And you don't want to do that. Like I think that his value is in getting three outs for you. And there's plenty of dudes that that is their career. And that's how they make their career. I don't necessarily understand other than the whole, you know, supply and demand just being a lack of supply here, I don't understand why else you would start him. Again, I agree with you. This is a PR move. He is not a starter. He is the beginning of a bullpen day. So it'll be interesting to see how many more of these bullpen days they do and if Sessa's the front guy of that every time or if Bell mixes it up. I'm going to be interested to see. I have a feeling they're going to stick with Sessa so that they can continue to use that he's the starter, you know, verbiage. Uh, but they're going to do bullpen days until either Hunter Green or somebody comes back from the injured list or maybe this is how they ride out September. I heard the word several on the post game. Several. I, I don't necessarily think that's going to happen because you're going to have some guys come back from injury. Hunter Green will come back from injury, hopefully at some point. I know that we, we heard there was a setback in his rehab, but Connor Overton will hopefully be back at some point in September. So there might not be a need for him at that point, but hearing the word several gives me pause because if you're talking about several bullpen days for this team, that's several losses in my mind, because this is the best that we're going to see from a Reds bullpen day. Well, I guess it leaves you with just one question that you have to figure that you need to ask with the injury situation being the way it is. And that's where else is David Bell going to go, Jeff? Where else? Where else to go? Listen, baseball America has updated their prospect rankings, Jeff, and the Reds did really well. Uh, we are going to talk about that right after this. You can follow the podcast on all platforms, including YouTube. Make sure you have clicked that subscribe button in the audio feeds wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. And while you're subscribing on YouTube, click that bell so you get notified every time we drop a special interview, every time we go live. We had a great live show last Friday night. Hope you were able to uh, listen or watch that. We had a blast doing it, and we're going to do many more things like that. Make sure you're following us on Twitter as well. You can follow me at S. Offenbaker. That's with two Fs. You can follow Jeff at Jeff Carr. That's Jeff with three Fs. And you can follow the show at Locked on Reds 
as well. Uh, Jeff, the Baseball America rankings are out. The Reds have done really well. And this, I think, again, you mentioned it up top. This is a reflection of what Nick Crawl did during the trade deadline to really uh, springboard this rebuild, springboard the Reds minor league system all forward and in the direction that they're trying to get to the new way of operating as a franchise. Yeah, it's just more evidence to that. And the Reds got five guys in the top 100 for Baseball America. Baseball America, largely more respected, I think, when it comes to the minor league community, prospect rankings, things like that. That's They're kind of like the top, so far as what I understand anyway. I have to ask Doug that one day where he kind of has Baseball America at. But they agree with MLB Pipeline in that L.A. De La Cruz is the top dude in the Reds' farm system. In fact, they have him rated at number 20. Like that is still, I mean, we, we keep saying it every time we talk about Ellie De La Cruz, but it is a huge testament to him, to the work that he has put in. He was a nobody. He came from nowhere. He had a, he was even a small bonus type guy. He wasn't even a guy that the Reds spent a lot of money to sign. And here he is leading this team. And there's not a soul on baseball earth that looks at him and says, he's not a generational talent. You know, it's interesting. I recall an interview before this season start that you and I did when we sat down with Justin Rock, who is the the play-by-play guy down in Daytona. And, you know, he was telling us, he was telling us about Ellie De La Cruz. And I, you know, I thought at the time, like, well, you know, this is, he, he, he calls the games for the team. He's kind of, you know, I, maybe there was a little Homerism going on. No, he was telling the truth. This guy is amazing. Every time I think that we have seen everything that he can do and everything that he has to offer, he goes and hits a 512 foot home run. He turns a triple into an inside the park home run. He just displays this raw athleticism that just leaves you saying, wow, every time he plays a baseball game and, those talents are few and far between. I am really excited to see what happens the rest of the way for him this season and the beginning of next, because if he continues on this trajectory, you know, we've talked about 2024, but I think maybe we'll get a look-see at him sometime in 2023. I agree because it's something that I talked about with Ethan on our crossover yesterday is that Ellie De La Cruz continues to show that whenever he is promoted to a new level, sure, there's a moment where he has a little bit of an adjustment period. He might hit 200 for a week, but then the next two weeks he hits like 400. Like he just, he makes that adjustment so quick. And when he adjusts, it is not, okay, he goes from 200 to 280. No, like he absolutely sets everything on fire and just turns into this, you know, I don't know if you ever watched, did you ever watch Dragon Ball Z? You know, guys go super Saiyan like Ellie De La Cruz is the red super Saiyan man. Like he, he is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and coming in right behind him, the number two prospect, according to baseball America is Noel V Marte. Now they have him at number 33. I remember, I think base or MLB pipeline had them both in the twenties baseball America, a little bit lower. I'm not that much lower. I mean, you know, the difference between number 25 and number 33, I don't think is very big, but Noel V Marte coming in in the top 40 prospects here and the Reds number two on baseball America. 
You know, there is a reason that Seattle did not want to have him included in any of the trade discussions. And there's a reason why Nick Crawl held out and kind of stuck to his guns and insisted that he was included. This is another talent that can play multiple positions that's athletic and that can deliver and he can hit the baseball. Uh, I'm kind of looking forward to the next time we sit down with Tom Nichols, who's had a really good firsthand look at Marte down in Dayton now to just see if, if what we're seeing on film really translates when you watch him in person, but he's another one that you just really can't help but get excited about. I think that uh, depending on what roster moves are made over the next uh, week or so, maybe he gets a quick look at double a, if someone moves up, uh, but if not, you can almost guarantee that he'll start out next year in Chattanooga at the double a level. He's, he's done nothing but impress since he came over in the trade. Yeah, almost uh, at the same time that Ellie De La Cruz got promoted to Chattanooga, there might have been a week or two in between of him going to Chattanooga and Noel V. Marte coming to Dayton. So he's going to be able to kind of compare apples to apples. So that will be that'll be a fun conversation to see what he thinks about Noel V. Marte, having seen the Reds' top prospect a lot this year. Right behind him, the other guy that came in over from Seattle, and there are lots of people that I've seen who actually have him as a better prospect than Noel V. Marte. Now, the biggest reason for that, and Baseball America notes it when they talk about Edwin Arroyo, is that they believe that he can stay at shortstop. But again, this is a situation where the Reds have so much talent at shortstop, it just shows you they have so many athletes within the system that are going to get to move around. Edwin Arroyo is probably the top dude to stick at shortstop, depending on how... You know, Jose Barrero, Matt McClain, and Ellie De La Cruz, guys like that figure out in the Reds lineup. But he comes in number three in the Reds system and number 45 overall in Baseball America's Top 100. I think it's important to note with Arroyo that of these three guys, he's he's projected to be the guy that has the, the greatest opportunity to remain a shortstop. But he's also the guy that's farthest away from being a big league level shortstop. So uh, he may not factor into this equation for a while. So I don't think anybody should really get kind of hung up on, you know, him being part of the log jam of middle infielders. I think a lot of that will have sorted itself out before he ever, you know, sniffs an opportunity at the major league level. Yeah, he's probably part of the second wave, and also in the second wave with him is the next guy, Cam Collier. Again, what a freaking steal the Reds got in the draft at number 18. He comes in number 63 on Baseball America's Top 100. He is the number four guy in the Reds system. That's going to be a dude. These two guys, Arroyo and Collier, are going to be part of the second wave that hopefully by this point the Reds have at least been to the playoffs and then they're just going to be infusing more talent into the Reds uh, lineup. Here's what I like about Cam. Uh, Cam's very young. You know, he, we talked about this. Uh, he skipped his senior year of high school and went and played at junior college as a 17 year old, because he knew he wanted to push himself and challenge himself. He's yeah. baseball smart. He knows his abilities. He knows what he can and cannot do, and he knows how to put himself in the best position to be a winner. I am excited for guys like that to move through this system. I am excited for guys like that to reach the big league level, and I think that there's going to be no lack of work ethic from Cam to ensure that he gets there. That's a baseball guy right there. That's a dude. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can bring to the Reds. And then lastly, and it's only fortuitous that he is last on this list, but the fifth Red in the top 100 of Baseball America, 
and which then would make him the number five prospect in the red system, Spencer Steer, who I firmly believe we will see at some point this season because the AAA season will end. And by that point, the Reds can call him up because they'll get an extra position player in September. Maybe they call him up before the end of the AAA season, but still this dude has shown absolute power, absolute hitting ability in the minor leagues. I don't think there's anything more to prove for him at AAA. It's time to give him a shot in the majors. You know, I agree with you. I think he's ready right now. Uh, you know, we talked about this, and I th- I thought he, when Joey Votto got hurt, they should have brought him up then, put him at third base, and moved Kyle Farmer into a platoon at first. Uh, that did not happen. But uh, without giving too much away, you know, we, we talked about a lot of this in the interview that I did with him that we'll be posting to the audio and video feeds a little bit later today. Uh, I hope that you take a moment and listen. Uh, I asked him about being uh, the name that's on everybody's lips in Cincinnati right now. I ask him directly about that. I ask him about his game. I ask him what the benefits would be to a look at the major league level before the end of the season. We talked about a lot of stuff in this thing, Jeff, and I think everybody's really going to enjoy listening to it and hearing Spencer's answers. So uh, after you're done with this episode, make sure you're glued to your, your feeds because that, that uh, video and that audio of that interview is coming directly. I think it's very uh, obvious to me that Steve's most recent interview will steer you in the right direction. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and one more thing before we get out of here today. I, I was happy to see this. Uh, at the beginning of the season, Baseball America ranked the Reds number seven in farms, in organizational talent is, is how they rank it. And then after the trade deadline, they moved them up to fifth. The Reds are officially top five. And what they said about that was the hefty return the Reds got back for Luis Castillo gave the Reds a pair of additional top 50 prospects. Cincinnati's overflowing and this is what we keep telling everybody with shortstop middle infield prospects, which provides the club with plenty of options going forward since all of them provide defensive versatility, which is the name of the game. If you look at how the Dodgers have been doing things for the last five, six, seven years. I think if it hasn't become clear during the course of this episode, Jeff, I think I'm just going to try and state it as directly and succinctly as I can. We've hammered Nick crawl for things that he deserved to be hammered about uh, between last season and this season. We did not pull any punches. We called it like it was, and it's only fair to do that when he does something right. And he, he has in fact hit a home run in his job as the general manager this season, uh, executing the task that he was given. Now there's more work to do and he has more things to prove, but his grade right now today is an A plus for what he's done with this farm system and the beginnings of a rebuild that might finally right the ship in Cincinnati. Might finally do it. And that is the place where we are going to end today's podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening, for watching. If this is your first time, make sure that you're subscribed. That way you don't miss anything we've got going for you, including what's coming up later today because Spencer Steer, we've talked about it a couple of times. Spencer Steer will join Steve to talk about when he might be getting that call. You're not going to want to miss it. Thanks for making Locked On Reds your first listen. Now make your second listen Locked On MLB as Paul Francis Sullivan brings humor, passion, and a unique perspective to the everyday major league grind. That's Locked On MLB, just like Locked On Reds, free and available on all platforms. Steve, 
the rest of this season is going to be a grind for the Reds. We got some guys that are fighting for some spots and we've got some questionable days ahead, but what does that mean for you and me? Well, you and I are going to continue to be locked on the good. We'll be locked on the bad. We'll even be locked on some of the ugly, but we are always going to be locked on Reds every single day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.